uh, this past week was a very difficult one to So we saw a violent mob invade the Capitol building, threatening the safety of our elected officials, of officers who were sworn to protect and serve and threatening even this democracy that that we all hold dear and that so many have, have fought and died for. We have seen the, the coronavirus death toll closely approaching this epic 400,000 mark. Just to put that into a little bit of perspective, think about a, a 757 airplane crashing into the side of the mountain. And then think of not just five or 10 or a hundred, but think about 1500 of those planes crashing one after another. We're seeing our hospitals stretched beyond their means. We're seeing healthcare providers stretched beyond their abilities. And we're seeing the circle get closer and closer. Ironically, some of you feel very safe in coming here because you've recently had corona and you do, you're not afraid of getting it again right now. But it's getting closer. It's getting into family. It's getting into friends. We've seen so many different quarantines, exposures, hospital visits. It's, it's getting scarily gross, close. We've seen these skyrocketing numbers in terms of mental health struggles and unemployment and incredible rise in fear and grief and loneliness and isolation and confusion. And this is not 2020 we're talking about. This is 2021, this, this new year, this new opportunity, this new season. And all of this put together has a very, notice this, all of this put together has a very sobering effect on us. It makes us rethink what really matters. So one small example from my life is uh, watching a group of, of 19 to 20 year olds play with this ball on a field against other 19 and 20 year olds that I've never met matters a little bit less to me this year than it did a year ago. That's perspective. This, this phenomenon that many of you have observed in your own life has often been called Corona clarity. So while Corona and the events of this past year have brought so much chaos, so much confusion, so much hardship, so much uncertainty, they have also brought clarity. They brought into focus things that matter most in our lives. And sometimes it's small things like the power of a handshake or the power of a hug. And sometimes it's bigger things like how much family really means to us and how precious time is with those that we care about. We have a tendency as people to lose sight again and again and again of what really matters which is one of the reasons why the passage this morning is so relevant to us, because it's like we're looking at the world every day with this blurred vision, and we need these glasses to bring clarity once again. And so I want to read these two passages with the hopes 
that it will bring some much needed clarity for all of us as we enter into the new year. And our first comes from the gospel of Luke. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with so much serving and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things, but one thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the gospel of the Lord. And our sermon lesson is from 1 Corinthians 15. A passage that, in my mind, is central to our life together as God's people. Paul says to this church, in some background context, this is a church that was incredibly messed up, incredibly broken and dysfunctional in so many ways. If you want to know those ways, just read the letter this afternoon. But to these brothers and sisters, to these, this family that he cares about, he writes these words. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I'm the least of all the apostles, and I'm unworthy even to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. In our short time together, I want to talk about clarity and I want to look at it in three different ways. I want to consider the why of clarity. Why do we need clarity so badly? Then I want to consider the what of clarity. What do we need clarity about? What are we meant to see more clearly? And then the the how of clarity, how in our lives in a new year, how do we move towards this clarity in new ways? So first, the why of clarity. And I want to begin by drawing your attention to a fundamental principle of all humanity, that what we think is important will dictate 
how we live. What we think is important will dictate how we live. So what you, what I, what we together think really matters is going to direct and drive what our everyday lives look like. That is an inescapable principle about how life works. So whether it's family, whether it's money, whether it's success, justice, revenge, learning, fun, security, sports, whatever it is that you hold to be important in your life will give shape to how you live. So if you want to know what's important to the people around you or even to yourself, you got to ask the question, what do we talk about? What fills up our conversations? What do we dream about? What captures our imagination and our dreams? What do we sacrifice for? What do we give our time, our money, our energies to? And so often we will notice if we look carefully, there is a disconnect. I think in all of us between what we say is important and what we say matters and what our lives actually tell others what matters and what they reveal matters. So for me, I can say my family is a top priority, but if I simply spend all of my time working, then my life is telling a very different story. If I say my faith is a top priority in my life, and yet things like scripture, prayer, community with church is, is minimal to non-existence, then, then that's not reflective of what really matters to me. All of us every day are making decisions out of what really matters to us. And there's a hierarchy. There's an order to things that are important to us. There are some things that are more important than others. That's unavoidable. And the reason why I'm saying all this is because our passage this morning, we hear God speaking through Paul saying that there is something of first importance, something of such significance that it's meant to leapfrog every other thing that matters to us, and it is meant to maintain its spot at that place. In the movie City Slickers, they years ago, it's, it's mainly about this group of three men, and their lives are incredibly dysfunctional. They're in their late 30s, and they're experiencing what you might call this midlife crisis. And so they take two weeks uh, their wives basically kick them out and they go to this dude ranch out west. And they think that that kind of spending this time driving cattle across the desert is going to radically change their lives. And and they meet this this old cowboy named Curly, who's played by Jack Palance. So it's this perfect fit. And he's he's seen as as this epic uh, this epic cowboy with all this ancient wisdom that they are just hungry to grab onto. And, and he tells them, he says, you spend 50 weeks of your life, get of, of your year, getting all tied up in knots, and then you're all the same. You come here in two weeks and expect it all to get worked out. And he asks him, he says, do you know what the secret of life is? And he holds up his finger. He says, one thing, just one thing. You stick to that, and the rest don't mean like. And one of the guys responds with a question that, that we all would respond and say, what is that one thing? 
What is it? He says, the answer, that's what you have to find out. And it leaves us all asking the question, what, what is that one thing? If there's a secret to life, then I want to know it. If there's something that my life is meant to revolve around, then I want to be in on it. And it's interesting, Jesus says something similar here in his words to a very good friend. He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about so many things, but one thing, one thing is necessary. So when Paul says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, our ears are meant to perk up. We're meant to kind of scoot to the edge of our seats and lean in because we're about to be told by, by God and by his word what this one thing really is. And whatever it is, Paul wants to remind this church and subsequently us what it is. That's the whole thrust of this passage. The main verb here is I want to remind you. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters. The whole purpose of what's being said here is to bring something that may have faded into the back of our minds to bring it to the forefront, to bring it to our attention. Uh, one of the special people that I've lost over the years is my great aunt, and she had a an incredible memory. She would remember dates, events, and places um, in, in ways that were simply just astounding but as she got into her later 80s and she got into her 90s, it became more and more difficult not only to remember those things, but then to remember uh, just normal everyday realities about family, about friendship, about life. And so when we would visit her, so much of our time was spent just opening up picture albums and going through old pictures and saying, do you remember this person? Or, oh, this is this person. And and putting names to faces and, and helping her to remember because there is this, this tendency of, of forgetfulness as age gets a hold of us. But it's not just for an older demographic. It's, it's for us, wherever we are in life, it's part of human nature to forget, to lose sight of what's important if it's not held before us again and again. We don't want to forget these words. Paul says here, he says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless your faith was in vain. To hold on to something is to grab onto it and, and not let it go. So part of why Paul is, is reminding and part of the why of clarity matters most is not only because of our forgetfulness, but because of of our risk of, of losing it all. There are many difficulties that I personally face in being a pastor. There are many hardships that I go through. There are also many joys and many privileges. But, but one of the most difficult and heartbreaking experiences is to see people uh, that I care about, people who, who once held on to Jesus as someone of such great worth of precious value, of utter dependence, and who genuinely loved him and everything he was about and everything he has done and who he is, come to a point in their lives where it simply doesn't matter. Whether they 
come to a place where they say, all of this is simply not true, or they come to a place where they say, this is simply irrelevant for me. Paul is one who has seen that again and again. That's part of why he's saying, I'm reminding you, this is so precious. This is so valuable. Don't lose sight of it. So that's part of how we might answer the question of why we need clarity. Because of our forgetfulness and our losing what matters most. But now the what of clarity. What's it all about? What is this thing of greatest importance? What we're going to see is it's what's, what's put forward as of most importance is not what we do. It's not a 12-step program of how we get ourselves out of any kind of trouble. It's what God has done. It is an announcement. It's a declaration. Gospel, literally good news of what he has done on our behalf. And what we're pointing back to is an historical event, a real events that happened at a real place in a real time. And we're told that somehow all of our lives are meant to be reshaped and reimagined around this one historical event that it has that much power even 2,000 years later. Paul says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, he died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So our God, out of love, immersed himself in our condition, experienced pain, suffering, loss, humiliation, and a cursed death on a cross. He was buried, and death could not hold him, and he burst the bonds and rose to new life. And there's so much to be said about how all of that works But Paul is content to say the fact that it happened is of primary importance, that Jesus died and he rose from the dead and he did it for you. And it's of first importance. And it's it's a comprehensive good news reaching back to our past. Uh, stabilizing our present and reaching forward into our future. He says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of this good news that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So think about it in this way. It's something that we have received. It is something that has brought us new life. It is something that has changed us, that has transformed us. Jesus uses even the strange language of being born again. It has given us new birth into new life. It's something that was received and that we made it our own. But then it's also something that we stand in. Think about the difference between standing on sand and standing on a rock. Oftentimes the picture is given of our faith as one of standing on a firm foundation on a rock. Paul is saying this gospel is not something just that's about our past. But it's about our present. It's about what we stand on every day. It is meant to be our rock. It's meant to become our identity, our hope, our security, our joy, our source of strength, something which all of our life depends on. It's not just a past, but it's it's a present, empowering, securing reality of good news. And then he says it's not just 
what you receive is not just the good news that you stand in. It's also the good news by which you are being saved. Uh, being saved, the Greek word, it's just one Greek word and it's passive. What that means is you are not the primary actor in it. It talks about something that is being done to you or on your behalf. So that not only are you standing on this good news, but you have one who is fighting for you every step of the way. One of the most helpful uh, kind of ways of explaining this that, that I've heard is, is the comparison between in World War II between D-Day and V-E Day or Victory in Europe Day. So D-Day, this invasion was such a decisive battle that it turned the tide of the war and almost guaranteed this victory that was to come. It led this way to this full end that it was almost inevitable. So it was this decisive victory, but at that point, the war is not over. Cities are still under siege. Concentration camps are still filled with prisoners. Peace still needs to be restored. And so even though this decisive battle has taken place, more needs to be happening until victory is announced in all of its fullness and peace is celebrated. It works similarly with the gospel. Theologians call this the already not yet, that Jesus' death and his resurrection was such a decisive event, a blow to sin and death and Satan and the power that they hold over humanity. But then, even though we have been delivered and are being delivered, we are still find ourselves in this war zone. A war around us, a war in our own hearts. And what's happening right now is every day, this salvation is being worked into us. We are being saved. So the power of fear, the power of anxiety, despair, pride, jealousy, guilt, and shame are being loosened as God is liberating us and setting us free. And every day, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is being made alive. That's the pattern of the Christian life, death and resurrection, things dying and things rising to new life inside of us. Good news that we have received, good news that we stand in, good news that we're being saved in every day, first and foremost. Brings us to our final point, the how of clarity. If this clarity is so good, how do we, how do we get it? And I'm going to make these very brief. The first is immerse yourself in the scriptures. Don't just put your toe in the water, but jump in full day after day. See, what's held out as a first importance of Christ's Dying and rising is said to be two times according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. There is this source of life here. This is a daily reminder of what is true. This is a daily reminder of what is valuable and what is good. And we're meant to immerse ourselves in it. Second, participate actively, regularly in the life of your church family. 
When Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, he's speaking to the family that is in Corinth, this network of brothers and sisters in faith. And don't miss the simplicity of what's happening here. Paul doesn't send out an email that gets distributed. He doesn't send out these mass mailers like we've all been receiving about politics and who we should vote for. This was a letter that was read in a public setting. So somebody like me would stand up and read this whole letter to you. People a lot like you. And so what we're seeing here, even in the nature of this letter, is that even corporate worship is one of the chief places where we are reminded of what's true. Here's uh, for some of our kids here. I brought a little object that we use often in our house, and it's a colander. And so from the side, it looks like it can contain all sorts of different liquids. But if you if you turn it upside down, you know it's got some holes in here. Uh, we work a lot like this colander. So every Sunday, we come to worship, and we get filled with all sorts of good things, hopefully. We hear good news. We sing good songs. We pray together. We see faces, and we're reminded about what's most important. And we leave filled up, sometimes. But what happens over the week? What happens is these truths and these realities often, as quickly as they've gotten poured in, they they drain right out. And we find ourselves regularly in needing of being refilled and reminded again and again and again. Someone once said that my main job as a pastor is to remind you of the gospel faster than you can forget it. And I think there's something very true about that. Finally, pass on what you've received. Paul says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. So someone gave this to Paul, who gave this to others, who gave this to others, eventually someone who gave it to us and to you. You are a key part in helping others remember this good news. When those around you are struggling, When those around you are wrestling in their faith, what is it that you bring to them? What do you encourage? What do you encourage your children, your friends, your spouse? How are we reminding one another every day about what is important, about what most matters in this world? And I want to end with this. How will you personally in 2021 fight for this kind of clarity? How will you work towards reminding those in your life, those you care about, and even strangers who are outside of this faith, how will you share with them this good news? How will you help others remember what matters most? And this is my prayer, that we would be a people who remember and are captivated by this one thing. Let's pray. Our good Lord, we thank you for your patience with us in our forgetfulness and in our wandering and in all the ways we move you 
And what is of first importance to the bottom of our list are very close. We pray that this new year would be a year in which we are captivated in new ways of your beauty, that we are moved in new ways by your uh, truthfulness, and that we are energized by your mission, that it would take top priority in our lives, not because it ought to, but because it's so amazing and so wonderful in your design, it is, it is the life we long for. Make it so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.